you really want to roll out the red carpet for your candidates in your recruiting process. You really want to show them that, you know, the better option if they had to pick between five other companies. This is Swarfcast, the podcast that helps professionals in precision machining excel in their careers. I'm your host, Noah Graff. Our guest on the show today is Ann Wyatt, founder of Ann Wyatt Recruiting in Athens, Alabama. Ann specializes in helping manufacturing companies find the best engineering and technical candidates. In our conversation, we covered all kinds of great topics related to workforce development, like how manufacturing companies should network properly and how they can pitch themselves to prospective new employees. We also discussed some vital tips for people seeking jobs in the manufacturing industry. Today's podcast is brought to you by Graf Pinkert. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graffpinkert.com. That's www.graffpinkert.com. I'm very honored to have Ann Wyatt, president and founder of Ann Wyatt Recruiting in Athens, Alabama, also the host of the live stream show, Workforce 4.0. Welcome to the show, Ann. Oh, thank you. No, it's so great to be here. I appreciate you having me on. This is great. I ran into Ann on LinkedIn where I'm trying to become active and she's a real pro. Uh, we'll touch on that in the interview and when I saw her, I was like, totally need to interview her. Uh, we're going to be talking about workforce development today. And this is something we've talked about a, a lot before. How do people find good people? This is, you know, one of the main things I hear about all the time as a machinery dealer. Oh, I'd buy a machine if I had somebody to run it. Mm-hmm. So this is just something that's on everybody's mind and... I can't wait to see what she's got to say about it. Uh, first, I'm just going to get a quick overview of your company, and then I want to get a little bit about you, and then we'll we'll go into a little more detail. So what's the really quick summary of Ann Wyatt recruiting? Yeah, absolutely, Noah. I started my company back in 2015 when I really saw an influx of greenfield companies coming to the Bowling Green, Kentucky area. And I just kind of decided, you know, we really uh, were going to have to get a good foundational local recruiter. And I approached what kind of companies? Green what? Greenfield, Greenfield sites. So um, industrial sites that were not pre-existing 
which is what you would think of when you think of like a brownfield site. Um, that's an I've ex- never even heard that term before. Yeah, it's basically a startup company for manufacturing plants. And it's basically because uh, they start as a green field, right? And then everything's built ground up. And obviously, it's going to be even harder to find employees when there's nothing established, I think. And you're just starting from square one. Well, the issue that we were really facing at that time was that the unemployment rate was already dropping so dramatically. This is 2015. This is this is 2015. Yeah. So we were down to a 4% or so unemployment rate. Um, and, you know, we had existing sites in the area. And to me, it just made sense to start to look outside of the local area for talent instead of, you know, the existing companies trying to compete with the greenfield sites because you wanted to build a sustainable workforce, right? That was the whole goal. Okay. Let's take it way back now. Give me like the three to five minute bio, how you got into the recruiting racket. Well, so that's a good question. Like I said, I started my company and Wyatt Recruiting in 2015 Previous to that point, I was working for the state of Kentucky in workforce development as a workforce development specialist, too. And in that capacity, I was doing some recruiting. I was doing a lot of employment placement and employment services with people, job searching, all that kind of stuff. Job fairs. So like event organization. And this was your first job right out of college. This was your first job. Yes. Give me the story on that because it's 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 pretty interesting. It's a good story. It's one of my favorite stories to tell everybody because I feel like that was kind of a point in my life that, you know, it was, I just graduated college from Western Kentucky University and um, I I was a broke college kid. I didn't have internet in my house that I was renting. So my mom says to me, I was looking for a job, you know, it was like 2010, you know, (laughs) if anybody- You didn't have internet in your house? I mean- you know, I was, I ate a lot of ramen. Uh, okay. So you didn't have any internet in your house. You were eating ramen and you told I was your like, mom. I don't, you know, it's kind of hard to find a job right now. Again, I mean, this is like 2010, you know. So she suggested that I go down to the unemployment office that I could use their internet for free and look for a job. And that's just like what they did there. And I was like, okay. So I went to, I started going to the um, career center every day and searching for a job. And one day I went in there and the receptionist at the front desk was, um, you know, she said, Hey, um, I'm leaving. Do you want my job? <laughs> so you hadn't found a good job yet. I hadn't found a good job. No. This was probably like a month from when I started going. So, um, okay. Yeah. And I looked at her and I was like, really? And she said, yeah. And I, cause you were helping other people there that were trying to find jobs. I was, yeah. They had a nice self-service area up front and I didn't really need a lot of hands on help. Um, once you're registered in the system, you can use their website to navigate your job search and they have, you know, all their jobs on there and you can apply, you know, electronically. So a lot of the individuals that were coming into the office, they were opting to do the self-service, but then they may have a question on the application forms. And so they, for whatever reason, just kind of latched on to me and were like, they just saw me and they were like, Hey, um, 
Did they think that you worked there because you were there all the time already or? I don't know. No, I don't think I think they knew. Or did they just look at you and they were like, she's young. She knows how to use the Internet. I think I think it was more of she's young. She knows how to use the Internet type of thing. So I would help them out with their questions and stuff. And um, the front desk receptionist was basically like, yeah, you know, you're um, you look nice. You're really helpful with the other people that come in and use the self-service area. And then she looked at me and said, you know, and you're here every day anyway. Were you just helping them navigate the Internet and fill out the applications or were you like sort of, you know, getting into them a little bit personal and they were talking to you about the things they were trying to do and and you were learning about their stories? Was it more in depth or was it at that point just kind of like, yeah, I know the internet and I can help you fill this out? Yeah, that's a great question. And I really appreciate you asking me that. I think you're the first person that's asked me that. So, um, but it kind of shines the light on some of the other people that were in the office and also, you know, like really kind of, because we did have regulars, And so some of them were not regulars. So it wasn't as, you know, I didn't have a chance to really develop those relationships. But there was one regular that was usually in there every day with me during the same time. Now, he wasn't really one that I had to help out as much. Um, He was actually an engineer that had been um, let go of his job. Um, But he was quite interesting to talk to. And um, we we got to know each other a little bit um, and we had some really good conversations and he worked in a manufacturing plant. He was probably the first engineer that I spoke with during my time there. What were the other people doing? Career center? Or yeah. Yeah. What was, what was the, you know, so you're in Kentucky. I haven't really been to Kentucky really. And you know, our country is just different everywhere and, and even in different cities or whatever. What were they unemployed from? What were their jobs before that? Mm, that's a great question. Again, um, yeah. And so, were they like, you're weird. We're unemployed. We've worked before and you're like out of college. That's sort of an interesting dynamic. That was an interesting dynamic. But no, I think everybody was pretty understanding of that fact because it was, you know, even though the uh, recession happened in 08, right? There was still some long standing damage with that. I mean, when I first started at the Career Center, we were still doing going 52 weeks of unemployment if that has if you know if that has any um significance there normally unemployment is only for six months so that was back when we still had we had a federal extension and we had a state funded extension and a lot of the positions that we had in bowling green kentucky were manufacturing jobs and a lot of them subsequently were in automotive so we were really hit hard during the 08 recession. So this was your first sort of entree into the manufacturing world. Yes. And to get back to your original point of what and why recruiting does. Yes. Is, you know, I work with manufacturing companies to find them um, engineering and technical talents for their hard to find job openings. And this was probably one of the first encounters I'd had with somebody that worked professionally in the space as an engineer. Yeah, no, this is, this is what got it all started. Exactly. Okay. So you're working there and what happened after that? How long were you there? You, you, you decided to take over. 
working the front desk. I'm sure you were doing, it sounds like you were doing a lot more than your predecessor was. Because at this point, you're doing more than just helping people with the computers. You were assuming this role. I don't know. Give me more detail because it's really interesting. Let me give you the timeline rundown if that's okay. Yeah, that's what I want. Okay. Yeah. So I was brought on um, as a temp to work the front desk. Shortly thereafter, and that was probably in August. And then shortly thereafter, I was offered a role as a federally funded time limited workforce development specialist one, which is basically um, a long way of saying attempt through the state. So where I wouldn't be, you know, paid through a third party contracting agency, it would be directly through the state. Um, I was brought on um, in that capacity. And at that point, I was moved from the front desk to an actual um, workforce development specialist role um, where I concentrated on employment services. And then I did handle a little bit of unemployment insurance in that capacity. But mostly, mostly it was employment services, job matching, resume writing, interview prep, that kind of thing. And were you teaching that stuff to yourself? That's a great question. I learned a lot from my employers. I'm going to say I learned more about resume writing from my employers and how they would respond to submissions and job matching. Which employers? I had a really good relationship with the manufacturing companies that were local. Oh, the employers, the employers you were working with. Yeah. I got you. I thought you were saying like you're your own personal previous employers. And I was like, no, okay, no. So, um, so they had a really strong local chapter of the society of human resource managers, also known as SHRM. And as our office started to shift more to employment services from unemployment insurance, they thought that it would be a good idea for us to start getting more involved in SHRM. So, um, I was able to be lucky enough to, be able to go to some of the SHRM meetings. And that kind of started that whole relationship that I started to develop with the local area manufacturing companies. They were big participants of SHRM. And they taught me so much that, uh, that cohort. Right. You learned from the potential employers what they wanted and how they worked. Exactly. Basically. And then you were able to go back to the people that were looking for employment and translated it. So that makes total sense. Coach them. Yes. So then you worked there a while. You really got into it. When did you shift your career and go off on your own? Or am I skipping something important in the middle? Um, no. So so in 2015, there was just such a high demand for talent already. And um, with the rate that they were announcing Greenfield sites to the area, it was just kind of like a peripheral vision thing. I was like, oh, well. And why Kentucky? Were there all these greenfield sites? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so every state has a an economic development plan and different agencies that facilitate that plan. And it takes, I mean, this is a pretty big network. It's pretty extensive and it depends on each state. And I don't think that it was necessarily Kentucky. I mean, I think that Tennessee really benefited a lot from those years. I think they're still seeing some growth. I know Kentucky is still seeing some growth. Is this because of all the like automotive assembly down there? Automotive. And then there's also some different industries that were coming to the area. 
that required a different skill set than what we would have normally had in the local area, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah. So, so anyway, all of these agencies kind of work together with conjunction of the federal agencies, like your DOL. What's the DOL? Department of Labor. Oh, okay. And, um, you know, they kind of drive the mission and, and scope of the industrial projects through these agencies, through the state directly, through your economic development partners. All right. So you've started getting relationships with these companies. The place is booming because of the Greenfield sites. You're knowing your stuff now. And then that's what made you go, all right, I can go off on my own. Is that how it happened? I was basically like really concerned about the sustainability of the workforce because what you did not want to do was you didn't want to increase any kind of competition between your local area employers that were existing. Um, And you didn't want to kind of foster this environment where it was really competitive with with the job seeker that side either. For example, that's like saying, okay, well, you have... um, 10 machinists currently working at your company. And then another machining company comes up in and sets shop right up next to you. Right. And then five of your best machinists from your 10 go to this other company. So it kind of like doesn't make it a very sustainable environment. Does that make sense? If they're all popping up like that sort of unregulated. So my thought was, you know, maybe we should really think about having a recruiter uh, try to help with finding pockets that were in, you know, scope of the local area that maybe had not had the economic boom that we had had and then try to target those areas. So for example, so I'll tell you when, um, when I've had, you know, when I've done some and to this day, when I still do work for some of my clients up there, um, I will run my range, my scope of range all the way down into Tennessee to look for uh, candidates because then, you know, they're still somewhat communable. I mean, unless the company wants to relocate, which then I'll pull, you know, different areas that have that specific industry. Does that make sense? You're trying to spread it out a little bit. So you're not having everybody just fighting over the same talent. Exactly. And you're, you're helping do that because you have the contacts in different places. Exactly. Gotcha. Yeah. So I approached some of them again, are still clients to this day. I approached them and I say, um, you know, I think we need a recruiter. And they, you know, they looked at me and they were like, yeah, that's a good idea. I don't think there's many people doing that. You know, they just looked at me. Is there something about manufacturing that, that really got you? Absolutely. It's really to me when I'm looking at, you know, because I was I had access to wage records as part of the um, unemployment piece of it. Right. And then when you're matching people to jobs, you know, you have to make sure that it's comparable salary and all that. Um, So, you know, when I'm pulling the wage records of individuals that are in manufacturing and, uh, you know, me sitting across this with my four year fancy degree and I'm pulling these wage records And some of these individuals, you know, they have a high school diploma or they have a GED and they're making six figures. Yeah. And I'm over here like... Or they were making six figures before they were unemployed. 
I'm probably making six figures right now for sure uh, in this market. Yeah, that's a pretty powerful statement on its own. And then, you know, in comparison to other industries, it wasn't as comparable or as high. And I'm over here thinking they told me to go to school for what, you know? Um, So that had a big piece of it. You know, I really thought that, you know, I mean, it's not all about salary. I mean, if it, if it really was, you'd, you'd go into manufacturing. I mean, you, you're, you, you wouldn't want to work at a shop, would you? That's, that's not the way your brain works, is it or not? I mean, it's not all about the salary, but at the end of the day, it is a very sustainable industry to be in, meaning that it is not only sustainable from the economic development point of it, right? Um, As far as like creating jobs, developing your different trans parks and all that, you know, that's in a way, it's almost like it's an automatic upgrade because you're getting, you know, all of the facilities that run with it, right? You're getting the wastewater, you're getting the, you know, you're getting the, uh, the electrical grid, you're getting the um, fiber optics, right? But it, on the other spectrum of that, from the individual perspective, you know, that's a pretty high ROI. And then, you know, it drives your other capacities of your economic development because then those individuals are going out and they're putting their money back into the economy. So it sounds like the the wages intrigued you, but then the whole purpose of what it does for our country and society and the economy is what gives you purpose and what you find the most interesting. Yeah. And there's definitely um, a lot of independence in manufacturing, right? Making your own product. What do you mean? Um, I mean that, you know, instead of relying on a global market, not that that's always a bad thing, but I mean, it certainly helped us with, you know, all the supply chain and all that, right? That we do have a large manufacturing sector here. Yeah, it's vital. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Now you have your own company. And you're living in Alabama. You're no longer living in Kentucky. Why did you move to Alabama? Yeah, that's another good question, Noah. Um, so my family all started migrating down to Alabama. And I, uh, I had my son, who's now six. And I decided, you know what? I see what all the fuss is about. I need a little bit of help. So I, I got on the train, on the, <laughs> on the moving south train. And uh, here I am. Okay. So now I want to get a little bit more into how the recruiting business works. You more or less are a matchmaker, a Yenta of sorts for jobs, correct? I love that. Yes. You can, I don't know if you've used that before, but you can keep that if if you'd like. I might keep that. Yeah. Put it on your website. That's fine. Um, Jobs Yenta. Yeah. Um, so the way you're able to do this is that you have a good network and your good network has come from just years of experience and one company meeting another company, I I guess that's, that's basically how your network is kind of, it's been organic. Oh yeah, absolutely. Of course, you know, I knew a lot of people at the career center from being there, you know, but, um, when I left there, 
I couldn't just take my database with everybody, you know, without with everybody in it. So I had to rebuild a lot of my candidates uh, network. Oh, okay. I was figuring that you just had all these contacts and just call them up on the phone. And but I'm sure that was a jump off point to to certain things. It was. So, um, you know, just getting to know people and just starting to learning how to ask for referrals in a receptive way and all that good stuff. I just want to understand kind of how it works. So say you are somebody who wanted to become a recruiter in your field. Maybe they have experience like you. How do you break in? I mean, are you like doing cold calls with various manufacturing companies and you're just like, hi, I'm Ann Wyatt. I, this is what I do. Are you guys looking for employees? Cold calling is, um, is a very traditional way and part of the recruiting process. And I don't imagine that cold calling that a piece of that will always stay. Right. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. But now that you have a reputation, people who are looking for jobs come to you. I'm trying to understand how it all works. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's two pieces, right, of the two doors that you can go through here. You can get through from the job seeker candidate perspective, or you can get through from the employer perspective. Um, These are generally, the process is generally a little different for each of them. Yeah. I mean, how are you linking up with them? Is it that people are finding you on the web and, or it's just kind of word of mouth a lot of it is through LinkedIn and a lot of it is through different online communities. You know, that's a huge thing. I mean, you mentioned LinkedIn earlier and um, there's just such an awesome manufacturing community on LinkedIn. It is so cool. When I first got on LinkedIn, it was a ghost town. It was not anything like this. I've been on LinkedIn for a long time um, since I was at the state. So it's just really cool to see it grow into what it is. Hey, listeners, I first just want to say thank you for tuning in. I know you could be spending your time doing a whole bunch of other things right now. I'm trying hard to build our audience for this podcast. And as you might imagine, it's not easy. Rather than just ask you to rate and review the show, which I would love if you did, I want to try something different. I would be eternally grateful if you could stop this episode for a moment and think of one person who would enjoy the show, and then send them a text message to recommend it. Okay, I will now assume you've taken care of that. Back to the show. I, you know, I've been trying to build this podcast a little bit more seriously. I mean, I wanted to build it before, but I'm trying to, you know, it sounds very self-interested and whatever. But I mean, I know that to build it, I have to go to LinkedIn um, or other social media, but it seems like LinkedIn is the place where it's at for manufacturing. And then I just see yours and yours is, I mean, you know what you're doing. Do you have any pointers, a couple pointers for LinkedIn, you know, say you're looking for a job and you're on LinkedIn and then maybe start with though, like you want to have a strong presence on LinkedIn and like yourself. Yeah. What, what can I teach me? Tell me what I can do to be intelligent, to get, and to get teaching my ways. Yeah. 
Okay. I can give you a few tips of what I've done that's helped me. Is I don't think there's a wrong way, though. In all defense, I don't think there's a wrong way. I think there's a wrong way. You think there's a wrong way? Well, the wrong way is to like promote yourself and be super pushy and like salesy and pitch everybody in your DMs. That's the wrong way. Don't do that. Well, I was just going to say the wrong way is where it doesn't work. <laughs> oh, well. Where, where nobody sees you, where, I mean, you're the way you just said it, that's definitely the wrong way. And maybe that's even worse, but the wrong way is just where you're spinning your wheels. Um, so tell me, you know, give me a few pointers give everybody a few pointers if if you want to have a presence on linkedin absolutely if you want to have a presence on linkedin just start making uh content and i'll even suggest so this is a big tip that i give my jobs like my candidates when they reach out to me and they're like how can i promote myself on linkedin like how do i get noticed by recruiters on linkedin you can like you can just certainly optimize your profile for seo you can certainly do that um that's a very popular tip but i am more interested in sustainability as a recruiter that is what got me into recruiting that is why i love to do it today okay i want that's why i'm advocating for workforce development uh, my end goal is to keep the sector sustainable so when I'm talking about sustainability, you know, I'm thinking about community, right? So as a job seeker or as a candidate, if you want to be noticed by employers that are essentially in your niche, create some samples, if you will, of your work. And you can say, well, and, you know, I work with my hands. I do a lot of like, like, say you're like a PLC programmer. It's a challenge to make content around, but at the same time, you know, if you're out in the field working and I'll tell you, Ali G does this, she does a great job of it. Um, she just snaps. I thought, a you just said, I thought you just said Ali G and I was like, I love Ali G. Ali G. Alicia Gilpin. I know, okay. I know, but it sounded like you said Ali G. Oh, I'm sorry. No, Ali. Okay. Ali G. Alicia Gilpin. And who, you know, if you're on LinkedIn, you've seen her, you know, um, but She'll just snap a pic and and post it and then talk about a little bit about it. Of something they've made. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then another thing that you want to do, you know, besides create content, is you want to comment on other people's content and, you know, really try to read the comments because LinkedIn is so great for that. You know, it is, it's a very, I, I don't want to say that it's like filtered, but I think that there's some a level of accountability when people are posting by and large they it's not like being on another platform where it's just like word vomit usually what is being posted is applicable it's useful it's thoughtful it's been thought through it's helpful it's positive you know that kind of stuff and you you're saying linkedin's algorithm is trying to figure that out and that's the stuff that gets visible if it's got substance if it's got substance exactly so comment and engage with other professionals that are in your industry sector and invite them to connect with you. And then once you invite them or when you invite them, make sure you include a message and just say, Hey, my name is um, Ann Wyatt and I'm just reaching out. And I thought we had some similar interests. You know, I see that you're into industry 4.0. I'm in industry 4.0. Like let's connect. What if you're, you know, you're, you're kind of starting from scratch and you are trying to build a following 
and you, you know, you get sent a bunch of people that might be interesting and you kind of go down the list and try to connect with all of them. Is, is that stupid? Is that trying to game the system or? Mm, no, I mean, it just depends on what your end goal is. For the average person, I would say be very careful with who you connect with. Why? I just think, you know, I think it's better. Like people in China, people in. Uh, I mean, just you want to keep it to your industry because it's going to promote. You see what I mean? The algorithm is going to promote people that are in your industry. If your connection base is strong in that industry. And it makes it easier to sort information and it makes it easier to really get to know people. And it gives you a lot more potential to carry that connection offline. And I've really, you know, been fortunate to meet a lot of my connections that I've made on LinkedIn. And they're, I mean, I would call them friends. They're my friends. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. look at this. This is what we're doing now. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So that's one piece of advice you would give if somebody is a candidate or an employer, show why you're interesting on LinkedIn. Absolutely. And when you go to DM them, you know, I, my first advice so, would, for, for people that, for people that don't, that aren't hip to it, DM is direct message, direct to message. send a message. Absolutely. And when you go to message them, when you connect with them, I know that it's easy to be like, listen, I'm looking for a job, but I think, I think that's the wrong approach. I think what you should do in lieu of doing that is um, just reach out and find that similarity and find that, you know, that alignment that you both share that common ground and build that relationship first, build that networking first. And then after a couple of interactions, that's the point you could probably say, Hey, you know, I'm in the market or whatever. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I don't know. I wonder in this job market though, if you, you know, if you had a nice little profile on there mm -hmm. and you went up to the right person and you just flat out said, I'm looking for a job. Maybe it's not a crazy idea. I mean, it's not, it's not a crazy idea, but you think it's a little better, maybe a little less needy, maybe a little smoother to just say, Hey, look, I would after a few interactions, don't do it on when you're trying to uh, connect with them. Because you could, you could easily accomplish the same goal here if you were to go to their website and put in an application, right? I don't know. Yeah. Maybe not. Yeah. I mean, that's almost like the same type of interaction, right? Only this time you're like bringing it to their, their front door. If you message them in a way as like, I'm looking for a job and that's like your first conversation that you have, then my reaction is going to be like, well, I don't they go to my website, put in an application or submit a resume. I mean, there's channels for this, right? But What's lacking is that relationship that says, oh, yeah, you know, I know. Wouldn't it be better for them to just go to you rather than go to a website where you're just who knows who? Yeah, no, absolutely. It kind of works the same way, right? That same interaction, you know, networking piece of it. So if somebody, you know, somebody with quite the resume who's an engineer or, you know, ex-management at a company... And they saw you and they just said, Hey, Ann, you know, I'd love to talk to you. I'm looking for a job. That's too direct. You wouldn't want that. You'd want them to first kind of connect with you and have a conversation with you. I mean, that's my job to place people. So I don't take that personally. 
you know. Um, yeah, that's what I'm saying. To me, it would make sense. If you're the vice president of a company. Yes. And somebody is randomly DMing their CV to you. Oh, yeah. See what I'm saying? Even if you're like a human resources director. I mean, it, you know, at that level, it's kind of like, I don't really handle a lot of the recruiting. This might not be the right channel. Right. But you would be. I would be. Yeah. And I do. I have um, people do that quite often. I don't ever take offense to it. I usually thank them for, you know, trying to match them. Who pays you? The the job applicant or the, the company? The company. That's what I figured. Mm-hmm. To me, the idea of filling out a job application online at a, a company, I would just think that that would feel like you're just going to be lost in a big pile of them. Do you think that's true? It depends. I mean, it depends on what their ac- applicant tracking system looks like. It depends on what filters they have set up. I mean, it just, it, there's a lot of factors there. You know, if they even, if they have the recruitment staff to keep on top of that, or, you know, it depends on the levels of automation set up through their process. I mean, there's a lot of different variables there that could affect your ability to get noticed online with an application. Yeah. Just depends. And you, what I've heard is that you can be discriminated against if you have a name that's weird and it's hard to pronounce. With the uh, with the ATS? I mean, just if you're applying for a job, because when they're looking through resumes, they will just pass you over because they're like, I don't even know how to pronounce his name or her name. You've heard that before, right? Um, Maybe you haven't. Yeah, I don't know. That's not usually the common thing. The common thing is usually like the experience that is listed on the resume. To me, I hear that more. Like, you know, so then the filters are set up in such a way that it's looking for, you know, very specific experience. So then the the ATS will put it in a, uh, it's essentially like a spam folder, but it's in a, it's there, but you have to go look for it. What do you think of interviews? I've, I think that interviews are way overrated. Do you? I don't know. It depends on the interview. I do. I do. Well, plus what I've read and, you know, we did this interview with this guy, Brian Belasia. I think you knew of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brian's great. Yeah, he, you know, his whole thing is just trying to basically redo the whole job placement thing, finding the right job, finding the right place for people where they're going to succeed and... Um, he thinks they're a waste of time in the, this book, this Malcolm Gladwell book, talking to strangers, this idea where you talk to somebody, they can seem very trustworthy. They can seem great. And then they're full of crap because they give a great interview. Mm, I don't know. I think that it depends on the information that you're trying to assess from the interview and the technique you're using interview. That can certainly be the case. I've seen that. Um, but I've also seen interviews carried out very um, successfully. It just depends. It depends on who's doing the interview. It depends on the questions, like I said, and it depends on what information you're trying to ascertain because I do interviews all the time. And I think one of the biggest misconceptions about the interview is that when I'm interviewing, I'm looking at surface level. Now I am only looking at what, you know, what your, your answers um, I am looking at that, but I'm also looking at kind of what's not being said or why you did something a certain way instead of doing it the other way. I mean, it doesn't matter really at the end of the day, um, but what matters really is is kind of different things like 
you know, motivating factors or, um, you know, did you take action when you should have taken action? Was it appropriate action that you took? You know, sometimes I'm looking at like accountability. How are you looking at accountability in an interview? It just depends. Again, it depends on the um, question. So, I mean, I don't know, like right now I'm doing a retention study. And one of the questions I think is really interesting because it's, you know, it's asking about if the person that, you know, is separated from the company, if they went to management and try to convey any dissatisfaction with management. And really that's a two-piece question. That's looking at the accountability of the person that was in the role to take the action and try to have and facilitate that discussion. And if they did, how did, you know, what did they do and how did it transpire and all that? And then you're looking at like the company response, right? So you're looking at how the company reacted to that person coming to them with some dissatisfaction. So I I wouldn't say that the interview is totally overrated. It just depends on your ability to understand or assess the information from the questions. Here's a scenario we've run into at our machinery business. We had a guy, we knew of him because um, he had been at some other companies that were our customers. He had been at like three or four different companies. What, what does that tell you if somebody's been at several different companies? How many years? Is that a red flag? Yeah, how many years? I don't know. Say 10 years, four companies. That's not that bad. It could be worse. That's not bad. That's about typical. Four years, four companies. Yeah, that's not good. Even if they seem like no. they just really have it together. No. What advice do you have right now for a machining company in this job market and they just can't find any good people right now? And they're just flailing around. What are you? What, are you, what are you what, are you having problems recruiting or retaining? Let's start there. Well, let's do both scenarios. Let's just do recruiting first. Okay. You know, what people tell me is, I can't find anybody, even a bad person, an unskilled person that's going to do a bad job, and I'm going to pay too much for. I can't even find those people, let alone a really skilled person. Okay. So if you're having problems with recruiting, a telltale sign of that is going to look like we have five new, brand new positions that are just freshly created. So that's going to be a recruiting problem, right? Because you have brand new positions, no turnover, right? So, you know, you really need to assess that first. Am I having a problem recruiting or am I having a problem retaining? Well, maybe it's just somebody who is building their business and they need... Recruiting. That's good. Okay. So, um, okay. So you're building your business. You decide, you know what, I'm going to add some different positions here. So if you really want to be competitive, there are things that you could do, right? To, to attract talent, but really you need to understand the needs of your workforce at large. So what does your workforce look like in your plant? And, you know, what needs are being met as a company? What needs are you meeting? And then is there anything that you could be doing better, right? So you really want to roll out. I've said this on, on Joe's podcast, but you really want to roll out the red carpet for your candidates in your, in your recruiting process. You really want to show them that you're the better option if they had to pick between five other companies. Um, so whether that's through you've got the best technology on your floor, whether that's through, you know what, we offer flexible shifts, we offer flexibility with, 
leave and yeah that's probably a really attractive thing lately absolutely absolutely smaller companies aren't going to have the luxury of being able to really like provide like daycare or anything like that but you know you're starting to see a lot of larger companies providing daycare that kind of thing but i mean even if you're a smaller company though i feel like you could at least have the the capacity and potential to be like yeah you know what jane's uh jane's kiddo is sick today and it is what it is or you know jane's got to like juggle a few things with the you know child care or whatever you know this is a huge thing for me so yeah uh that just i know right it's real they are sick these kids are sick all the time noah i don't know oh god (laughs) just discovering that i mean he's only seven months old but yeah they're just big germs there's just like a big germ running around yes um so just having that understanding compassion and being like you know maybe they won't you know we shouldn't like point out our best people right you're saying when you're explaining when you're trying to sell yourself as a good place to work you're saying list these as some of the benefits Mm -hmm. are these more important than pay pay is great pay is still probably i mean when people are coming to me and they're saying i'm looking for a job it's still predominantly when i ask them why it's still pay is pretty high up on the list of the reasons. Um, but work-life balance is definitely secondary. But retaining now and keeping people happy, how important is money and bonuses versus uh, other kinds of things? I'd say work-life balance is, is still pretty important to people. It is just one of those situations where it's like, you, you know, you wish that you could get, but like, why, you know, can we not have both, you know? There has to be some flexibility, certainly, in manufacturing that's got to change. Yeah. And some of the people I've interviewed have told me that, that they've gotten a little bit more flexible on their hours. And I think that's made a huge difference, even allowing people to work part-time or... Um, and we're almost done. I mean, and I just want to skip back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago about if you're an employer and you're looking for employees... How do you put yourself out there? How do you advertise through LinkedIn or through Monster, through going to you? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. What I've told some companies that have reached out to me, you know, because I always offer just some basic tips and advice for them of what they could do to really increase their brand. I mean, this is part of your brand. When you're recruiting, this is part of your brand. But what I've encouraged them to do is I make, you know, I want them to make like video testimonials or video job descriptions. So like utilize your workforce that you have. Video testimonials from the employers, employees that are already there. Yeah, I think so. And then put them on LinkedIn or something like that or... Also showcase what what technology, you know, if you got technology that you want to show off that you think is going to be kind of cool to the younger folks, your VR headsets and all that, robotics. That sounds like a really good... Put it out there. Put it on LinkedIn, put it on Facebook, put it on YouTube. Um, You can't really do that with like your job boards, right? You can't do that with like Monster Indeed. But I mean, you know, make little TikToks if you want to, different things like that. And definitely on your website, you know, Google ads, you could do that with. AdWords, just online, just saying, just putting yourself out there then, you're saying? I think Google ads, you know, the service, Google ads. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else you'd like to say to the people of the world before we wrap this up? No, I really appreciate your time today, Noah. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate your time. It was was fun. Good. Good. I'm glad.
Um, no, it's a great conversation. I appreciate it. If you want to touch base with me or get a hold of me in any way, LinkedIn is probably the best platform for that to do that. Um, all social handles, AY at recruits. And you should check out her show, the stream, Absolutely. the live stream. Yeah. Workforce soon 4. to be 0. a podcast. I hope so. Work- I hope so. Yeah. Workforce 4.0 future podcast. Absolutely. From today's machining world, this is Swarfcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to the show on your favorite app and give us a five-star rating and a review. And don't forget to tell your friends about it. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and todaysmachiningworld.com to join our mailing list, read episode summaries, and watch extended interview videos. I'm Noah Graff. My occasional co-host is Lloyd Graff. Our managing editor is Ridgely Dunn. Our audio engineer is Patricio Garcia. For information on advertising or to submit an idea for a future podcast, follow the contact information at todaysmachiningworld.com. 